Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today in the Gospel, we hear that classic story of Jesus' transfiguration. Now, if you study Matthew's Gospel, you see there are three great mountain scenes. The first one is the Sermon on the Mount. The last one is Jesus climbing Mount Calvary and dying. Well, you could say sandwiched in between these two great scenes is Jesus climbing now Mount Tabor and is transfigured before his apostles. Now, I think what Matthew is telling us is that we need to be keenly aware that something as deeply significant is happening in these great mountain scenes. Take, for example, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus climbs the mountain, sits down, and begins to give us the blueprint of Christianity, basically how to live the Christian life. Well, Mount Calvary. Jesus climbs the mountain and mounts the cross and redeems the world by his sacrifice. Well, Jesus now climbs Mount Tabor in today's gospel, and he's miraculously transfigured. And in doing so, it reveals not only his identity, but also his mission. And yet, in this story, it all starts with light. This divine, illuminating light from heaven, breaking into our world, and telling us exactly who Jesus is. Now, we shouldn't be surprised at this. If you look at sacred scripture, there are times in which the divine illuminating light of heaven breaks into this world at particularly great times. Just look at Moses in Exodus. Moses is on Mount Sinai and he's talking to God, literally, for 40 days and 40 nights and then receives the Ten Commandments from God. And as he's making his way down to the Israelites, the Israelites look at Moses and they see his face and his hair is dazzling white to the extent that they can't look him in the face. It's so bright. He has to put a veil over his head. Where else do we see this light? Well, in artwork of saints. You know, the saints are always depicted with halos over their head. Well, that's that divine illuminating light, recognizing the holiness of these people. You know, there's a great story about Mother Teresa. Back in the 1970s, there was a filmmaker named Malcolm McGrudge. He was British. He was not only a filmmaker, but also a writer. Well, he heard of Mother Teresa, and he thought he would like to do a documentary about her. So he took his entire film crew with him to Calcutta, and they interviewed Mother Teresa for several days, and they filmed her as she ministered to the poor and the homeless. Well, one day, they went to visit her at a clinic. We would refer to it as a hospice, a place where people are very sick and are dying. Now, when they arrived at the clinic, they found out there was no electricity for some reason. The camera crew came up to McGrudge and they said, you know, we can't shoot here. There's no light at all. 
But McGrudge said, well, why don't you just shoot anyways? And we'll see what we get. Well, they followed Mother Teresa around for several hours in this clinic as she ministered to the poor as well as the dying. Well, after a few days, they packed up everything and made their way back to London to work on the documentary. Now, as they were looking at the film that they shot, specifically the film at the day in which they were at that clinic, they saw something that was incredibly fascinating. They saw light in that clinic. Now, realize there was no electricity, and there was very little natural light coming into the clinic. It was pretty much dark, and yet the film showed that there was light. Wherever Mother Teresa went in that clinic, whomever she ministered to, there was always light around her and that person. Well, after studying it more and more, McGrudge figured it out. That light was coming from Mother Teresa herself. She was the source of that light. And Mother Teresa was filled with that divine, illuminating light of heaven. It shined upon her and those people that she ministered to. And it also does in the gospel. Now notice in the gospel, it says, Jesus was transfigured before them. His face was shone like sun, and his clothes became white as light. So what are we to make of this? Jesus' transfiguration? You know, people transfigured by this divine illuminating light of heaven? St. Thomas Aquinas, I think, gives us the best answer as he meditated upon this gospel passage. He said, Jesus was transfigured in order to allow his disciples to see the beauty of the goal, to see the glory of heaven. That gave them the confidence to continue on in their ministry, to realize that this world was not the final goal. The story of the transfiguration tells us that in particularly great moments, the intensity of heaven breaks into our world and shines on the holiest of people to see the beauty of the world that awaits us all, the world we are all tending to, which is heaven itself. Now, if you look at the apostles, Peter, James, and John, despite their struggles in their faith, sometimes they were hot in their faith, sometimes they were cold. They needed to be reassured of their mission and of their faith. They needed to see the goal, which is heaven itself, in order to inspire them in order to motivate them to continue on. Well, I would argue so do we. From time to time, we need to be reassured in our faith of the goal. This is the reason why we come to Mass every Sunday, the reason why we pray every day, we do the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, because we know now the goal. We get a glimpse of the goal. And I think the best way we can get it is at Mass. You know, when we gaze upon the altar after the consecration, we see the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We see that glimpse of heaven. And there, therefore, we are reassured that what we're doing is right. Praying every day, going to Mass every week, you know, performing the spiritual works of mercy. These are all ways to keep us fixated on the goal. You know, in some ways, it's kind of like a marathon. And life really is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a long marathon throughout our entire life. Anyone who's ever ran a marathon or even a long race knows that maybe halfway or three-quarters through the race, our bodies start tiring, our muscles start aching, 
Our minds start playing tricks on us, telling us we should give up, we can't finish the race. But then we see it. We see the finish line. It's maybe a mile or two away. And we say to ourselves, I can do it. I can make it. And then we summon the courage. We summon the strength to make it across the finish line. Well, I think that's what the story of the transfiguration is. It helped the apostles. It gave them the courage and the conviction to continue on in their mission, in their ministry. And so too does us. We need to see a glimpse of the goal so that we can continue on in our faith in the midst of our struggles and our challenges. Now, what I want to do in the last few minutes of my homily is I want to talk about the transfiguration and how closely it resembles everything that we do at the Mass. In fact, every time we gather for Mass, you could say we reenact the story of the transfiguration. Now, notice how it begins. Jesus and the apostles, they climb the mountain. Well, it's a basic biblical theme. Whenever you hear mountains in sacred scripture, it's always synonymous to the presence of God. The presence of God is always on top of a mountain. Well, when we gather for Mass, we gather recognizing that we are going to be in the presence of God. You could say every time we gather for Mass, we climb that mountain because we know we are going to be in the presence of God. First, by hearing God's word. Second, by the Eucharist, Jesus' body and blood. Next in the story, it says, Behold, Moses and Elijah were with Jesus, conversing with him about his impending death. Well, Moses represents the law. Elijah is the greatest of all the prophets. The two of them represent all of God's revelation. What do we do at Mass? The very first part of Mass is the Liturgy of the Word. We read the Law and the Prophets. Notice in the Gospel, Jesus opens our minds for us to come to know him. It's kind of like the story of Emmaus. The two men are leaving Jerusalem. They just witnessed the death and resurrection of Jesus, and yet they don't understand it as it applies to Scripture. Jesus walks with them, and it says, He opened their minds to interpret Scripture from the time of Moses until the present day. More to it, Moses and Elijah, they represent the communion of saints that we believe in. Now realize, Moses and Elijah died hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. And yet, the apostles, they look and they see both of them alive and talking to Christ. Well, we believe that when we gather for Mass, we gather, yes, together, but we're not alone. We are with the saints and the angels. And why? Because the saints and the angels are always around God, giving God right praise and worship. And so if we truly believe that at Mass God is present to us, then the saints and the angels are also present. That's why we recognize them. In the Eucharistic prayer, the preface, at the very end the priest will say, May our voices blend with all the saints and the angels as we acclaim. And then we break into the Holy Holy. Well, we acknowledge in our prayers the presence of the angels and the saints all around us. Notice also, too, from the cloud is the revelation of the Holy Trinity. The cloud is the Holy Spirit, the voice is the Father, and Jesus is present on the mountain. Well, we also recognize that every time we gather for Mass. We recognize the Holy Trinity is present to us. It's not just Jesus at our Mass. 
It's all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why we recognize that in our prayers. Throughout the entire Mass, we always are praying to the Father, through the Son, in union with the Holy Spirit. That's why at the very beginning of Mass, we sign ourselves in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We invoke their names because we know that they are present with us. One last thing to think about. Peter, he comes to Jesus. He knows what's happening. He wants to stay there. That's why he tells Jesus that he can construct tents for him, Moses, and Elijah. He doesn't want to leave. Peter realizes what's happening, that heaven and earth have united on this mountaintop, and he doesn't want to leave. Well, neither would we. Notice Jesus' response. He says, no, we must continue on. Jesus knows his mission doesn't culminate on that mountaintop. No, instead it culminates in Jerusalem when he mounts the cross. Well, the same thing holds true with us. After we have received a glimpse of the goal, which is the Eucharist, now we leave the church. We don't stay in the church. We leave. Instead, we, in some ways, walk down that mountain just like Jesus. Just like Jesus and the apostles, we continue our mission. We have the courage and the conviction to continue on the mission, which is living a life of discipleship of Christ. That's why the minister always says at the very end of Mass, Go now to love and serve the Lord. Well, we do go. We walk down that mountain, just like Jesus and the apostles did. We saw the goal, and now we have the courage and the conviction in the midst of our struggles to continue to live out our faith. See, that's why I believe the transfiguration story is something that we live out every time we gather for Mass. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.